This evening we bring our series in the book of Exodus to a close until we pick up the story again next fall. As I said before uh, in previous weeks in the fall, that's the season that we've committed to preaching through uh, the Hebrew scriptures, which is like two-thirds of the Bible. Anyway, it's really important stuff. So we're going to put a cap on that after today and we'll be in Advent next week. Our text this evening is rooted in the part of the narrative where God has brought the Israelites out of slavery and rescued them from the Egyptian army. (coughs) After passing through the sea on dry land, the Israelites wrote songs and they did a dance and they celebrated and they figured out a way uh, not only to give praise to the Lord, but to make a song where they could remember this. I mean, they are on cloud nine. This is... God has just done amazing things for them, so they're free, and it's not three days into the wilderness wanderings where they face their first problem. Okay, we're free, and we're through the water, and we're away from the army, and now we have, what, like, no water. We're, we're in trouble. Uh, and so what we're going to see is that quickly their songs of joy turns to, to cries uh, of, of grumbling and wanting help from the Lord. So that's where we are, Exodus 15, 22 through 27. Uh, please stand with me as we read that text. Then Moses led Israel from the Sea of Reeds, and they went out to the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Merah, They could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a branch, and he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. There he made for them a statute and regulation, and there he tested them. And he said, If you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you which I've put on the Egyptians. For I, the Lord, am your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 date palms. And they camped there beside the waters. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Just six short verses, and yet there is so much to talk about from that little passage. We could talk about the highs and lows of following God, from deliverance from impossible odds to wandering the desert with inadequate water and not enough food. We could talk about what it's like to follow God into the unknown, which is a reoccurring nightmare for many of us control freaks, right? So that's one thing we could talk about. Or we could talk about faith and trust. The God who was able to deliver the Israelites from Egypt was certainly able to provide for their basic needs, and yet the people had to learn this the hard way. They had to learn that God would provide for their daily bread like a good and loving father. And from this story, we could do a whole sermon on God's provision for us and relying on daily bread. Or we could talk about God's mercy and faithfulness and patience. In our English Bibles, we see that the Israelites were grumbling or complaining. And that doesn't seem that bad. After all, they were seriously worried 
where they were going to get their next drink and their next meal. But the Hebrew word for grumbling carries a much harsher connotation. It means to rebel, to challenge. It was a condition of the heart set against God. And his response was gracious provision for them. So we could talk at length about God's graciousness towards us. A fourth thing we could talk about at length is how to live in the tension between deliverance and arrival in the promised land. Sure, they had been rescued from Egypt and slavery, but they weren't yet in the land flowing with milk and honey. And in between, they're stuck in this 40 years. They don't even know it's going to be 40 years yet. They're stuck in this wandering desert. We could talk at length about how we've been rescued from sin and death in Christ, and yet the kingdom isn't here in fullness yet, right? And we live in a tension. That's... If we include chapter 16, where God provides bread from heaven, we could easily spend our time talking about how Jesus is the living water and the bread of life. I mean, that'll preach, right? I'm tempted to just go there right now. That's five sermons that we could quite naturally fit into these six verses or or pull out of these six verses. But I'm going to draw our attention to another reality that I see in this passage. It has to do with God's love for the refugee. The story begins, of course, with creation. Yahweh is the creator. And once he builds his living temple filled with plants and animals and seas and mountains, he puts human beings in it. In a place called Eden, a garden, our ancestors made their home. They had abundant food and water and security. They had good vocation And best of all, they had unbroken, intimate relationship with God and with each other. They had shalom. But as we know, the shalom of Eden did not last. Fueled by deceitful words of the serpent in the garden, the man and the woman began to doubt that God really had their best interest in mind. And they rebelled and disobeyed God and broke their relationship with him. And they're cast out of their home and they become refugees. Alive, but homeless. Free, but unrooted and vulnerable. And even though they became refugees as a a consequence of their own sin, God had compassion on them. And he provided two things that are essential to human survival. First of all, he provided physical necessities. Clothing, in this case. Political asylum, in the case of their son Cain, who would murder Abel and be on the run as a, as a fugitive and refugee, and God would provide asylum for him. The second thing that God provided these refugees was hope. Hope that one day the offspring of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. One day, what he's saying there is that evil itself would be done away with. Now, fast forward to our story in Exodus. We have a creation story. Water separated, dry land appearing as they go through the Red Sea. We have a new people formed and a new land to explore, and we have human sinfulness, grumbling, rebellion. And just like the story of Genesis, Exodus is the story of God being gracious to political and spiritual refugees. These people had no home. They had no secure source of water or consistent source of food. They had their animals with them, and we know that. And they're wandering through the wilderness, but... The staple of their diet is bread, flat bread. And you can only make bread if you have a whole cycle of planting a crop, 
nurturing the crop, harvesting the crop, and processing the crop. And for a people who are on the move all the time as nomads in the wilderness, they did not have time to plant those crops. And so the Lord graciously provides the bread from heaven. He provides water from rocks and places where water ought not come. He provides for his refugee people. They are near to his heart. And, so that's the first, remember in Genesis I said God provides two necessities to human life. The basics of provision, food, water, clothing, asylum, safety, and the second thing is hope. In Exodus, he provides food and water, and he's going to help them with the Amalekites in a few chapters. Caesar, um, but, you know, so he provides for them the physical things. Now he's going to provide hope. In verse 27, we read about this place called Elam in the wilderness where they set up camp. At Elam, there are 12 springs of water and 70 date palms. These numbers are almost certainly symbolic. 12 and 70 are numbers of completion in the Hebrew uh, culture in the ancient Near East. 12 springs of water, one for every tribe. 70 date palms, abundant shade, shelter, and sweet food. Not even just the basics, but dessert-type food. The picture is one of shalom. Quoting Scott McKnight, shalom is when you have what you need, and you need what you have, when your neighbor next to you has what they need and needs what they have. You cannot have shalom if your neighbors don't have shalom. That's the definition. It's a communal thing. So here in this little oasis, they have shalom together, a gift of God. In Elam, the refugee people have asylum the homeless Israelites have a refuge, albeit temporary, that encourages them, that lifts their spirits. Elam is a slice of heaven, a preview of the promised land. It's meant to give them hope. Life has enough bitter water, amen? And he gives them a sweet spot, an oasis in the desert. After this event, once the Israelites take possession of the promised land, God repeats or repeated commands uh, for them to care for the refugee. Emma did a wonderful job reading that scripture from Deuteronomy. He says, remember, remember, remember the refugee. Because once you were a refugee people, you had no home, you had no land. And so from now on, when you get to the promised land, you make sure you take care of the refugee. Fast forward to the first century A.D. Jesus is born, God with us. He was a refugee in Egypt when Herod tried to kill him. He had to flee to Egypt. He comes back. Jesus died. God for us. Jesus rises. God victorious over sin and death. Jesus ascends. God reigning in justice. Little shout out to Christ the King Sunday. Jesus um, bring, sends the Spirit. The Spirit descends upon all who are baptized in Christ. God with us, the, ho the hope of glory. By the way, that was the career of Jesus in a paragraph. Come on, it's good stuff. All of us who find ourselves in Christ, part of this church, we are part of this story. The story should shape us. We are refugees rescued by Jesus, wanderers estranged from God, but reconciled and found to be at home in the church of Christ.
We have a place here among each other, not because we like the same kinds of food necessarily, or because we like the same sports teams or sports at all, not because we have the same hobbies necessarily. And it's not, our togetherness is not because of we're all the same age or ethnicity or gender or socioeconomic grouping. It has nothing to do with those things. We are home together because we're together in Christ. We were once a people, but now we are the, or we were once not a people, now we are the people of God in Christ. We were refugees, and in a way, we still are. We belong to Jesus, but his kingdom is not come yet in full. And so he sends us into the world to point the way to be living and breathing Elam's oases of hope. Remember Elam had 12 springs of water and 70 date palms. Is it any coincidence that Jesus sends out 12 disciples on a mission and on another occasion sends out 70 on a, uh, both times to declare hope and salvation through Jesus? Brothers and sisters, this is our calling. We are to do what it takes to welcome the sojourner, the one who's displaced, or simply feeling out of place. You know, in today's current events, of course, that means Syrian refugees, along with other displaced groups that aren't, you know, they've fallen off the radar of the news media. Let's pray for these people, and let's pray that our governments who are fearful and pulled in a thousand directions from voting blocks and opinion polls, let's pray for them to make the right decisions according to Christ. They need our prayers more than our opinions on Facebook. We can learn a lot more about the problem and how to be helpful here in our own backyard. Did you know that a little over a week ago, the first Syrian refugees came through SeaTac? And there'll be many settled here in Whatcom County. In fact, at Bellingham Covenant Church on December 6th, there will be a lunch to raise awareness about the refugee crisis, and our very own Morgan Lingbloom has been helping to organize that. So if you have questions, please talk to Morgan. It's, there's going to be a Facebook announcement as well. But this is a place where we can learn, where we can serve, and figure out how we fit into this together as the church in Whatcom County. Refugees are not just from political groups or those displaced from their borders. There are refugees in this room, people who are lost, people who feel outside for many different reasons. How could we show hospitality and dignity to those who live among us, those who worship among us, and we simply assume, hey, they're fine, they're here, and they're smiling, and so they must be okay. And cohort kids, I thought about you guys being in here. You're in a very unique time in your life because sometimes there's kids in your class um, who feel on the outside. And Corey and I were talking about this, about how we wish we could go back sometimes in school, because as we talked about some of those outsider kids, we thought, I was never really mean to those kids. But how many times do we go out of our way to include those kids and to make them feel welcome at the table where we're working or eating lunch or playing at recess? Um, so this is something that we can all take a part in. It doesn't have to be just kids on the playground. It can be in our workplaces. It can be in our communities and our neighborhoods. We are all refugees, every person you meet. But in Christ, 
we have a destination. We have a place to belong. So let's give thanks to Jesus who rescues us and gives us a family. And let us consider how we could show the love of Jesus to everyone he puts in our path. Lord, we pray for your help in this. And we confess um, our own fearfulness and selfishness. Lord, we have a tendency to, once we've arrived, um, to close our eyes to those who are still struggling. Help us to see the reality that we are so far from having arrived anywhere, that we are all on a journey together, putting one foot in front of the other. Help, help us, Lord, to be encouragers. Work through us to be providers as you lead and guide. Expand the capacity of our hearts to love more fully and more deeply and more broadly. We come to these things, to you in prayer with these things, because they're bigger than our willpower. And frankly, sometimes they're bigger than our desire. So Spirit of God, work in us, change our very desire, bear your fruit in us, that we could be a blessing to the world.